Hey everyone, Eric Watson here, and this is the recorded audio of a DM-only live stream in which I prepare for our next live session and chat with fans twice a week at my Rogue Watson YouTube channel. Please note that these streams are full of DM spoilers. This was not originally intended for an audio-only format, but has been converted to a podcast for your convenience. The channel and by extension this podcast are supported by Patreon. If you'd like to support my work, you can do so at patreon.com slash roguewatson. Enjoy the show. Watson here, freelance writer, player of games, writer of origin, recorder of videos, and a tabletop role-playing aficionado. Welcome to the Thursday edition of Bye Bye, a week with behind-the-scenes DM-only livestream, Crafting Icewind Dale, which I build right and prepare for our next session of Rhyme of the Frostmaiden. Uh, happy Star Wars Day, may the 4th be with you, etc., etc. You're playing characters of all Robin Frey, Sussman, or Thimbleweed. This video is not meant for you, but for the rest of you. Uh, you are welcome, but there will be spoilers. We stream our D&D sessions live on YouTube every Friday. Watch all of these sessions and review videos here on the channel. You can follow me on Twitter at Rogue Watson and join our official Discord server with invite link in the description below. If you'd like to support the channel, please check out patreon.com slash roguewatson. For our campaign, we use Roll20.net, and for streaming, I use open broadcaster software with Streamlabs. I just realized that I jumped ahead a little bit too much with the Mythalar, but this is, by the way, this map is from uh, Eventeer Games' complete DMs bundle for Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, which is also where I got the Etheran Street map. I had completely forgotten about that. I, I meant to cite that as because people often ask me where I get maps that are not in the book, and that Etheran street map that we used for the uh, Spire entrance fight, as well as I think for a Nothic fight at some point in the campaign, uh, are from this same uh, bundle, which is on the DM's Guild. Uh, but we'll be talking about this more next week, I believe. It's also a gigantic map, by the way. I'm at 60% zoom on this map. Look at the individual squares are like teeny freaking tiny. You talk about like a massive boss arena fighting around this like nuclear reactor it's gonna be good shit but first we need to go back and talk about the Eriolarthus boss fight two back-to-back -back boss fights which means that this one yes should be challenging obviously but is not the final final fight and they're not even getting a short rest between this fight and the next one so that may affect the balance a little bit for this battle. This, they, I mean, they're coming in here fully long rested, fully leveled up, so they will be very powerful for this fight. So I'm trying to put myself in the emotional state of not feeling too bad if I maybe even get my ass kicked a little bit, as long as they do have to expend some resources, I get in some good licks, and then that will, defeating Uriolarthus will ultimately trigger, unlock the way to the Mythalar, and they will be under a huge time crunch uh, in order to rush down there and essentially enter that final, final battle. So not even getting a short rest in between. I don't think they realize that, but hopefully they do, because I've talked about how, you know, keeping Oral at bay uh, via this force field and the fact that Avarice, they kind of deferred that until later. So they will have to deal with all of those factions uh, right after this battle. I know, yeah, there's no reason to hold back here. They have, a, they have a lot of resources and things. The only thing I really wanted to change on my end, which I did, was the fact that this Elder Brain does not uh, stun as often because I just don't think that makes for good game design necessarily. I think being stunlocked just really sucks. I feel for the players when they're in that situation. Even though they have ways of getting rid of it, uh, you know, between Bardic Inspirations and flash of geniuses just for making the saves but the fact that you can be stunned and then you can basically be repeat stunned if you just roll really bad i don't know it feels very bad to me so as a way of rebalancing it instead of stunning as part because the mind blast it it targets everybody in this room now it's on a recharge so it can't do it every single round but most rounds it probably will unless i get really unlucky with the recharge but it hits everybody in the room um, of the player's party 
And it's a DC 18 intelligence save. They take an average of about 30 psychic damage. And then they have to roll on this table, which I have created as the mind blast table. And it's a D4. Now, one of them is stunned. So essentially, I transformed into a, hey, you are stunned, into you have a now 25% chance to be stunned. The other debuffs are you are slowed, uh, which is the slow spell. You are muddled, which is the synaptic static spell. You have to subtract that D6 uh, from attack rolls, ability checks. Or you are dazed, which I had to just come up with. I have to sneeze. Excuse me. Um, that is the uh, Tasha's Mind Whip spell, where you cannot take reactions, and you must choose whether to get a move, an action, or a bonus action. You only get one of the three. So you have a... It, it, hopefully it'll make it interesting, where, it, you know, instead of everybody just being locked down or half the party being locked down, everybody will have different debuffs. The other thing I changed is that the effect lasts only until the end of that creature's turn, which I know is putting things back in the player's favor, but essentially... Everybody is automatically making their first, uh, uh, if they fail the first save, that's not my fault, that's just them really bad, but essentially, because otherwise it would be, uh, you get to repeat the save at the end of each turn, so I'm saying you basically automatically make that save after being affected by this for one round. Hopefully we can get more mind blasts off so it's constantly happening. Maybe that's the other way I change it is, I could even change it to where it just mind blasts every fucking round. Or maybe I just change its recharge to be on like a 4 to 6. So it's got a 50% chance versus a, what is that, 33% chance. That would even, that'd be a small change, but that would be pretty big. So instead of doing it every third round, on average, does it every other round. Uh, because everybody, and, and then if, and, and that way you can audit, there's no um, issue with like, well, I'm already, you know, affected by one and this other one comes in and hits me. Does that new one override the old one? So in this case, it only lasts for that, one round anyway, and then you're automatically freed out of that. So actually, I think I will make that change. I've talked myself into it. We're actually going to really rebalance things. We've changed quite a bit about this Mind Blast. So we keep the save, we keep the damage, we keep the targeting. We change the fact that it no longer stuns if you fail. Now you have to roll a D4 table, and you only have a 1 in 4 chance of being stunned, but all four are bad things. They're all debuffs that are hopefully all at least interesting to work around. Uh, in terms of like, hey, you can't multi-attack, or maybe you can't get a bonus action, or maybe you have to, you know, subtract a d6, you know, but they still let you have a turn versus being stunned. So I think that works a little bit better. And um, it no longer just keeps on affecting you constantly, because that sucks. I just think it sucks. It sucks, especially if you're stunned for that long, uh, to just have to go through that every time. And because this thing can, attack, can target everybody, uh, you know, there's no targeting challenges here so I'm, I'm really trying to rebalance this yes a little bit in the player's favor but also just to make it a more interesting battle for everyone involved but on the flip side i just changed it to where it will mind blast hopefully slightly more often now it's going to recharge on a four to six instead of a five to six so that'll be its primary action every turn uh, if it doesn't have mind blast available it can use a tentacle attack which i have taken uh, demnix's Advice, who replied on the uh, YouTubes, to actually create tentacle tokens and thus make it a little bit more dynamic and interesting for a virtual tabletop, and also give the tentacles uh, hit points and armor class, which was also an excellent idea based on the Roper, which is one of the single most interesting creatures, I believe it's a, a infamous legacy creature, in terms of its mechanics, that it can, you know, attack people with these crazy long tendrils and then reel them in towards its mouth. Like it's just such a cool horror creature. And the way that its mechanics work is just very unique compared to other creatures. I, I honestly, <laughs> I wish this were more of the uh, paradigm for creatures in 5e. I feel like instead the Roper is, is an exception where it's like just exceptionally interesting in how it works and how it can really just be interesting and combine well with like so many environments. Uh, versus just the average creature, which is just, you know, auto-attacking all the time and has hit points. So I, I think I love the Roper. Don't use enough Ropers in my games, for sure. Whoops, where did I hit? Hit the back button. Let's go back. Uh, so the Roper's tentacles, uh, they also grapple with an escape. Um, this one actually says they're restrained. Uh, I don't believe it says that for these tentacles, however. 
This is just grappled, not restrained. However, the tentacles from the Elder Brain have an ongoing psychic damage ability. So if you remain grappled, you constantly take um, a little bit of psychic damage every turn. Up to four targets grappled at a time. I may get rid of that, actually. Let's, let's get rid of that. Because this is a much bigger brain. And obviously, this is not a standard Elder Brain. This is not supposed to be like a Mind Flayer thing at all. This is an evolved form of the brains in the jars that uh, was all about, that Ethrin did to people. So I'm using the template of an Elder Brain, but just kind of modifying the shit out of it, I guess. So we're going to get rid of the uh, limitation of tentacles because this thing is also like eight times the size of a normal Elder Brain, so I figured it would have more tentacles. <laughs> more tentacles! But the Roper um, has... Uh, let's see. The Roper can have up to six tendrils. Each tendril can be attacked, which I think is interesting because players would want to do that, right? That's the very classic, like, I, I don't know, what's a... You just, you just picture every, um, you know, comic book or... Uh, movie or something where there's a tentacle creature like most of the time people aren't necessarily like struggling and using their you know pure uh muscles and and power to just try and get out of it they're like hacking at it with a sword and like cutting off the tentacles right that's the real classic bit and i want to allow them to do that i think that's a great idea um in the case of the roper it actually has hilariously high ac ac of 20 this thing is just like made out of rock uh and each Ten, uh, tendril is 10 hit points immune to poison psychic damage. I'm actually going to flip that and have it be... I'm going to keep the AC of 10, which this brain tentacle has, because I figure these are really squishy, kind of easy to slice up tentacles, but give them 20 hit points, even though, granted, that's still very, very low, and most players can actually probably get that in one hit. Um, but you know what? That takes up an attack. That takes up one of their attacks right there. Now, I believe this one says, yeah, it does no damage to the Roper. I may actually... I don't know. I'm, I'm on two minds of that. I could either say the same thing, like it does no damage to the Elder Brain. Yeah, I probably will, actually. It does no damage. So that it, it just eats up attacks to do that. But that allows them to at least, you know, if they have multi-attack, they can use a second attack. Or at the very least, they're like, well, you know, screw trying to do the strength check to get out of it, which would be a... Actually, not that bad. DC 15. Uh, we can just hack at it. So I like that. I also increased the reach of the tentacles to 50 feet, so... It can basically, and you can see on this map, which um, I did mean to link. Let's see, where's the link? There we go. I'm going to put in a link where I got this map uh, because it is from uh, Seafoot Games, uh, their Patreon, which is a, uh, a, a map photographer, I guess we call them. Uh, that I subscribe to on Patreon, and I have used a couple of their maps uh, throughout this campaign. And this one, I have been sitting on forever, thinking, "Oh, this is such a cool uh, map for the Elder Brain." It even has like this brain matter-looking fleshy bits, which I'm sure the players will try to stab it, but it's not gonna. It's just, it's not part of the Elder Brain. <laughs> it's just kind of the effects that it's having, like its regional effects. Um, the goo, I d I haven't just determined because Lord knows the players are gonna try to shove. Uh, my creatures into the goo. I don't think the goo is gonna be. It's like it's like flesh slurry, so I don't see it as necessarily being um, damaging. I don't know. I'm up to two minds of that. If you see green liquid, you usually say, "Oh no, that's that's bad. I should stay away." I did have an idea where I lit up all of these. So you, if you see by their point of view, um, this entire room is lit up by what I'm gonna call bioluminescent like bubbles as, as a way to use these things, and I even put them on the, in fact, I need to put them on the map layer, actually. Yeah, let's put them on the map layer. Will they still light up if they're on the map layer? I think they will. Uh, but I did have an idea where maybe if the players or these Nothics burst them, then maybe they could end up doing some acid damage or something fun as like an additional uh, trap option. Uh, or, or maybe the elder brain can even pop him with a tentacle as a, as an action, and then do like, I don't know, like an acid spray thing. I don't. That might be too much, but it seems interesting. With the tentacles as the hydra heads, you can tell how powerful a tentacle monster is based off the number of tentacles it has. 
Uh, yeah, I don't know how many tentacles. It has as many as I needed to. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. You see it has like eight on this picture. I mean, this picture is not supposed to be necessarily accurate. Like I said, I got this from a third party. Eight, but I would imagine it would have probably at least eight tentacles. Enough for every person, we should we could say. Definitely do acid damage. Tentacles can dip the players in it. We like the acid damage, huh? Uh, I could. I think the players would um, almost take advantage of it more than I would. But you're right. With the tentacles, uh, you could you could certainly drag the players in. What are the what are the rules for? I guess moving players around uh, with tentacles. I'm actually not sure how to kind of configure that. Because I know I've I've flung people. Is that part of a action or is that a free action? Actually, not entirely sure how that works or where I would even look that up. When a creature has, uh, I mean, you can you can move. Let's see, if it has a fifty foot reach, um, yeah. What does that mean for the tenant? Can you just move and drop them somewhere? I guess or fling. Yeah, I don't know. I'd have to figure out rules for that, because that would be that would make things more fun if instead of just grappling them and holding them there, the tentacles were actually like moving around and throwing them into the acid pits and stuff. Um I I, I definitely see the players trying to shove my own Nothics into the acid pits as well, but it probably wouldn't be that much damage. It'd maybe be like an ongoing turn thing. Maybe when you first enter you take uh some damage. What is the exam um, let's see, is there an example of I know lava, but is like Hilariously, I don't want lava monsters. Um, let's see. Under terrain, difficult terrain. Uh, maybe I don't know. I need a combat thing. You'd think I wouldn't have to look this up anymore. Actually, probably be under the. Dungeon Master's Guide. Or would it? It might be under the Player's Handbook. Hazard, hazardous Terrain, as I was trying to look up. Lava's like, yeah, lava's very strong. That's And that's not what I'm going for here. It shouldn't be, shouldn't be lava. Let's just search for acid. I don't think it'd be too much to toss them. Oh, 10 feet in the air. Yeah, just, just so they could take a little bit of uh, <laughs> falling damage. <laughs> I wonder why uh, I can't actually get like supplemental rules stuff with when I search these things. Maybe under traps? It's kind of a trap. Yeah, you can do like... Uh, Compounding damage. Like an acid pit. Darts, poison needle, spear, magic traps. This is probably the most important information right here is where do you want to put the DC versus how much damage it does. Damage severity by level. For 11 to 16th, a setback is considered 40-10. Who's using D10s for their traps? My goodness. Over D10... Oh my goodness, okay. That's an average of 20 damage, I think. Acid damage, the goggles, they do nothing. But you could put the, well, I don't know, I guess there wouldn't be a DC, I'm, I'm literally trying to look up the lava rules, I can't, can't find the lava rules. Does, does lava give you a DC or is it just like, hey, if you fall in the lava, you're just screwed? I might have to look at my actual book for this. And would it be under the player's handbook or not? Uh, easier to look in a book. With the reading rainbow. See if I can. Ah, uh, the index. Larva. Uh, there's no lava in here. Okay, let's look up the player's handbook then. 
The player's handbook. Yeah, I, I think keeping track would be actually a huge challenge. Was it really tiny index? I haven't looked at this one in a while. All right, well, unfortunately, lava does not appear anywhere in the index. Uh, as an example, I know there were rules for it. I cannot freaking find it. Does acid appear anywhere? Action. Acid damage. See damage types. <laughs> Doesn't help me. I I'm I know there's. Is there not? Maybe it's by adventure. Then I know I've looked at lava damage before. Like there's a that part in Prince of the Apocalypse where somebody fell in lava. But is the was it just written in the actual adventure then? Or or at the end of at the end of Tomb there was a there was a huge lava pit, right? All right. Dusting off the Tomb book. Magma damage. Because I know there's a lava pit at the end of this freaking adventure. I will find... Boy, it's been a while since I looked at this book. <laughs> Alright. Flipping through. Lava pit. The lava pit is 30 feet below the floor of the room, 100 feet deep. Any creature that falls into the lava or starts its turn there takes 10d10 fire damage. That is... So there's no save. You just take the damage. Because you're falling into a vat of that liquid. Now, obviously, it's not going to be 10d10 here. Uh, fact, that would be under, what, deadly? Where was that chart at? 10d10 is considered dangerous for 11 to 16th level players. Uh, yeah, because that's like 50 damage. Uh, so no, it's not going to do that much damage. But So we like the idea of, of making it, which I, I do think that makes it interesting. You kind of create this nasty, uh, would it be, I guess acid's the most fun. I'm trying to think why a brain would be kind of submerged in acid, though. Um, uh, or we change it to maybe like necrotic or poison. Maybe it does something to non-brains. I'm trying to figure out how I can. I mean, you could just say DM bullshit, but I'm like, this this thing is supposed to be like half submerged, like in this liquid. It's supposed to be like its big flesh slurry, which is kind of what the brain in the jar stuff is. Uh, but maybe it would. I don't know. I'm almost picturing uh, in the Transformers the movie when the when Unicron eats people and it drops, it's such a crazy inside system. It's even darker than just a robot eating you. You get part of this like nasty um, conveyor thing where they're like on cranes and they just drop you into this just vat and you just fucking melt. <laughs> Can do psychic damage. It could. I feel like that would be... Uh, that would be the easiest thing, and I guess would make the most sense. I'm just thinking if somebody used like a resistance or something to avoid all of this thing, psychic damage, and that would help it here as well. And maybe that would be the surprising thing. It's like, oh, it doesn't do acid damage. It's just uh, doing psychic stuff, because maybe you're like, you suddenly become uh, attuned to the creature's, um, I don't know, will or thoughts or something. So we could do we could do psychic damage. Uh, we could keep it as... Well, there's no DC. There's no DC because you just fall in there. So you just take the damage. So you take the damage when you fall in. And I think this one says... Also, when you start your turn there. So if you fall in when it's not your turn and nobody rescues you, you end up taking that damage twice before you have a chance to get out. So that's pretty interesting. And we could make it 4d10. Which would be considered a setback. <laughs> I fell into a vat of uh, psychic damage water. It's it's like the what is this stuff from Ghostbusters two where it like feeds on emotion and shit? It's like that pink 
uh, slurry stuff. And it was, what do they call it? Psychokinetic? Do, 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 do. Yes, I'm a Transformers fan, a giant Transformers fan. I have shelves filled with figures and whatnot. Do, 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 do. Oh, no, now I got Ghostbusters 2 on the brain. Uh, okay, so we're going to add the environment of the green liquid. For some reason, I, I feel like they called it psychokinetic. Psychokinetic flesh slurry. <laughs> That's gross. The blood is acidic like a xenomorph. Yeah, I guess are the xenomorphs just immune to their own I mean, they'd have to be. You could argue that it's... Um, I don't know, or it's just... It's like the creatures from that evolution movie where it's like, well, they exist on a different uh, periodic table, so like certain things, was well, like cyanide isn't deadly to them, but head and shoulders is. <laughs> Dandruff shampoo? I'm making a lot of references in this crafting stream. I think Yawning Portal's a section with lava. Yeah, there's, there's, this may be one of the few <laughs> campaign adventures without lava, which makes sense because we're nice, Wendale. But uh, lava seems to be a pretty popular uh, hazard to use. So we like the idea of the tentacles. And obviously the tentacles would be uh, immune to all that, which means do I need to add a damage immunity to my brain? Selenium, yes. Thank you. Somebody else knows that movie. Uh, underrated. Kind of a spiritual successor to Ghostbusters, I feel like. Very early 2000s. Um, it actually doesn't have any resistances or immunities of damage types. But it has very good saving throws, magic resistance, and legendary resistance. I'm not really worried about that. Although if this were a party of like mages, like holy shit, you want to exploit this thing's weaknesses, you throw fireball after fireball at it. It has a plus zero dexterity. Granted it can use its legendary resistance and magic resistance to great effect, but that is that is its weakness right there. <laughs> it doesn't move and it doesn't have very good dex. Fortunately the main DPS of the party comes from a mental caster who normally targets mental stats, so uh that's gonna be painful to deal with. Rise Icewind Dale doesn't have lava. Rise, you haven't taken a look at the Essence 20 Transformers book. Tyla, it was. I don't know why it's no longer on roll 20. I was interested in it. Um, and I saw it was coming to roll 20. And for some reason, it got taken off of the roll 20. I mean, I'm, I'm not necessarily married to roll 20, but that's just what we're all used to. We're all. Uh, what we've been using. And. That's the kind of stuff that I like to be able to plug in and use with my group of online players. And I was excited to check it out, and then I've seen that it got like removed from the store a couple months ago. I don't know if it, the licensing fell through or, or something happened, but I was pretty bummed uh, because I was definitely interested in checking that out. Just like I'm interested in checking out the new Marvel one that is, what is it called, the multiverse thing or something? And, and a lot of this will be things that we kind of explore after we finish this campaign, and we... Just kind of play around with some other systems and worlds and things before starting uh, the next project. I did also change some other qualities of the Elder Brain. For example, because I changed Mind Blast where it only stuns a fourth of the time, I also changed its Psychic Link so that it can target any creature that's simply suffering from the Mind Blast effects. In other words, you could be dazed or slowed or was the other one muddled or stunned. And it still only can target one person as a bonus action. And then they have a chance to break out of it as an action, but otherwise it doesn't actually do anything to link them up at the moment. However, it can then use legendary actions to use anybody that it has linked up, including breaking a creature's concentration and also dealing damage to them, uh, which I don't believe they get a save against. It can also just do the Psychic Pulse where it deals damage to that creature plus enemies of the Elder Brain within 30 feet 
it's not very much damage, and I haven't really upped it yet. It's This is going to be the hardest thing to determine in this battle. It's how much I need to change the damage numbers around. Because, I mean, the player's level 15. This is level 14, CR 14 creature. Uh, so it is supposed to be a boss fight, but it's not the final boss fight, if that makes sense. So I don't necessarily want to make this thing just crazy powerful. Although, the other big change I did is I gave it a lot more hit points, which is pretty obvious, I think, for a boss fight. We have a range of hit points. This one is 20 D10 plus 100, which if I'm doing my math right, says that it has, was it uh, 400 hit points? Right? 20 times 10 is, or no, three, maybe it's 300 hit points. 20, good lord, Eric, can you do math? It's been a while. 20, no, 20 times 10 is 2, okay, so actually a bit more than max hit points. Whoops. So max hit points would be 300 hit points. I gave it 350. Um, we'll lower that back down to 300, but we will tentatively... I would not be surprised if you see me cheat this number a little bit during the session, because that's the only thing that I can actually fudge and, and keep hidden from the players is total hit points. So for now, I'm giving this thing maximum hit points, which I think you should do for any boss regardless. It still only has an AC of 10, so it's going to get hit by shit left and right. Um, hopefully we can grab people with tentacles and fling them or just pull them away. I don't believe that would trigger attacks of opportunity um, if you're being grappled by a tentacle and being flung. Plus, I also gave it an additional legendary action. Uh, well, first of all, I reduced the tentacle to it only takes one legendary action and not two. So I can have, again, hashtag more tentacles. I also gave it the ability to cast Dissonant Whispers as a legendary action. I think that makes a lot of sense for a brain. I think it's a low level... Sp By the way, I watched the Dungeon Dudes uh, YouTube on how to run an Elder Brain, so shout out to Dungeon Dudes. Uh, they had some really good tips on there. A lot of it wasn't necessarily relevant for me because they were looking at the traditional Elder Brain as being, you know, a leader of a Mind Flare colony, etc. But in terms of the actual combat mechanics, um, I like the ability of giving them more psychic-based spells. So I thought letting them cast Dissonant Whispers as a legendary action is pretty damn helpful uh, as a way of, again creating space between it and the party, uh, and it triggers attacks of opportunity from uh, either the brain itself, because the brain could use a uh, tentacle attack if it's in melee, or any of the Nothic creatures we can use, uh, because it's the one where they forces the uh, target, if they fail the save, they have to use their reaction to move and use their speed, which does trigger attacks of opportunity, which is why it's such a great freaking spell. Right down, let's see. So it's going to be 4d10... Falling into. So still haven't quite decided what kind of damage type it's gonna be. I'm I'm kind of moved between I think acid just because it's green and you see green you mean acid. It's just the video game person in me just wants that to happen. Psychic, I think you could make a case for psychic. It just feels less interesting because this thing is mainly doing psychic damage. Although I guess the the tentacles are doing bludgeoning damage. So I guess it does do a little bit of different types of hits as well. That'll teach Valravan, yeah. As a legendary action. So I'm also tempted, has anybody experimented with this? Because legendary actions I find very tricky to use in a big CL combat. First of all, you're pretty much only going to use legendary actions during your big marquee combat encounters. And by that I mean these are session-long tactical combat encounters, the, the climax of a thing. Has anybody experimented with just putting legendary actions at very specific like initiative count intervals because what i like about layer actions is that it's always on initiative 20 and that is very easy for me to keep track of because it's it's, it's on the initiative track and i can immediately say okay initiative 20 this happens and the next round initiative 20 this happens legendary actions though are very difficult for me to keep track of because you just have to, like, you have to interrupt the players. You'll be like, oh, and then this happens in between things. You have to determine, like, when the best time to use it is. Oh, no. Raptors. Oh, my goodness. Okay. <laughs> Ryan told me there's dinosaurs on our show. Um, so, I, I guess I'm, I'm tempted, and this would be a total house rule by me, is to treat the legendary actions similar to layer actions where I have them on the initiative counter as like, hey, you know, 15, 
uh, ten and five or something, so that they can happen. You know, so you get three. You get three of them per round. I made it so they're all only, only uh, cost one each. So they would always be able to do one of them. Only at the end of another creature's turn. So it couldn't do it during its turn. Regain spent legendary action at the start of its turn. Yeah, so I think that would work out, right? Because even if it has a legendary action um, before its initiative, like say, let's say it gets initiative 7 or something, you could technically do a legendary, you know, as long as you keep track and make sure it doesn't do more. And that would also help me know that, like, oh shit, how many have I spent, like, this round? So I think it would... I think that would help clean things up a lot for me, even though it would give it away a little bit because I would literally have them on the initiative tracker. I guess I could technically put them on the GM layer, maybe, to hide it if I wanted to, but eventually the players would figure out, like, hey, they're always coming up at this at this time. And I know that's a weakness of mine, and technically that is, a, but on the other hand, I have rebalanced boss fights that way by pulling back on legendary actions. The players are, are suffering a lot, then I may do fewer legendary actions, uh, in a fight. I hopefully don't have to do that here because I've already felt like I've rebalanced it quite a bit. Jason says, I put legendary actions for BBEGs literally after every single character turn reduce their power a little. So much easier to handle the game. Oh, that's that's another good way of doing it. Yeah. The end of each turn. I feel like I have to sneeze again. Yep. Oh my gosh. At least I've been feeling them coming on. That's actually not a bad idea, but that does increase... Yeah, raptors is a great idea. <laughs> and also, the older brain has enslaved some raptors that appear out of the acid pits. Um, I don't know how much that would that that increases a lot though. The pro, Jason, do you have five players? And you, I guess you don't do it because I, I I assume Valin will join them for this, but Katavix would not. Katavix would sit in the chair and be the one who opens the door. He can technically be there for the Mithalar fight as probably a story based NPC, but. Uh, it wouldn't, he would not be in here, so it'd be Valin. But that would be that'd be a lot of legendary actions. And you're right; I think you'd have to rebalance them in that case. I kind of, I'm kind of leaning towards using them as like layer actions, but just you know, at certain intervals. So like, uh, you know, we've already got the layer action at twenty. So it, it, I am keeping. I, I think I'm going to keep all of its legendary actions. It's got, uh, it can cast Wall of Force, which is going to be the equivalent of it, like, throwing up a giant impenetrable wall around itself, which the only way the players have of dealing with that is, I need to look that, that one up again. Is that uh, part of its spell? Is by breaking its concentration, although it may be a dome. Uh, it's actually, I need to give it Wall of Force, then it's not here in the thing. Cranium Raptors. There we go. Wall of Force. Is it a dome or is it a sphere? You can form it into a into a dome or a sphere. Okay. Because I was thinking one interesting thing, if the if the martial players really get frustrated that I put a impenetrable dome around it, um I could have it be a, a or a sphere, then I could technically maybe have the underside of it being because also how do you I get, and it may have to be a dome because otherwise, how does it have its tentacles still come out, right? So it'd have to be a dome. So that probably solves it. So instead of it being a sphere completely encasing it, it would be a dome that encases the top of it. Ah, and here's where the water comes into play. So if you still want to attack it while it has that wall up, you would have to get in the water and attack it from underneath, which means you're taking that damage. We just determined it was going to be a 4d10 uh, in order to get around it. So that that creates a uh, challenge without shutting players down. This is good game design. This is better game design than having it be just, oh, Wall of Force, you can't hit this guy. Instead, it's like, okay, Wall of Force, or Wall of Force is a dome around the top of it, and then they'll be like, well, wait a minute, why are the tentacles coming out? I was like, well, you can see that the, the dome extends and stops at the water. So that means you have to get in the water where it's all nice and damagey, uh, and, then, and then follow the rules for underwater combat as well, which means I think you take, or you, you have a disadvantage on attacks unless they are certain uh, weapon types. You could roll 3d20 and secret use those images to keep them from guessing when you use them each round. Yeah, that kind of adds the complexity on my end. I'm trying to make it easy on myself because I know one of my weaknesses is running these big, complicated common encounters with multiple things happening. And, you know, trying to keep everything moving and fresh and, and, and trying to get it all in in our relatively short uh, session time. 
five players for Rhyme and gave her legendary actions after every turn. I really tweaked them down a lot, completely redid her though. I mean, I am also going to have to redo Oral a bit. I, I do like the idea of her going through multiple forms. But I may change that to like two forms and make the two forms a lot stronger versus the three forms. And obvious, and I'll just have to scale her up anyway because the player's going to be way, way a higher level than they would be taking on Oral. How long do the players have before the Elder Brain starts to HP Lovecraft them? The Elder Brain does have some creepy stuff it can do um, that modify memory spell, uh, and it's supposed to be able to do creepy things with the Psychic Link. Um, it You know, this is not... I Again, I'm using the Elder Brain template, but this is not like a creepy alien mind flayer. Elder Brain, this is a wizard who... A, an ancient, powerful wizard who went through a transformation process to become an immortal brain, which obviously that has an effect on him. And then due to his connections to the Mythalar, was able to, and, and having all the resources, just keep growing in size and power since then. So I think the Elder Brain obviously is the template I'm using, but it's technically not uh, a mind flayer base, I guess. It's an aberration. I guess it's still an aberration. <laughs> uh, this is not naturally occurring, but it's a little bit different. And I don't plan on having it move whatsoever. Uh, this is going to be one of those classic video game boss fights where the creature is just gigantic and just stays there, and instead it's got all these other things that happen, which hopefully I'm creating some interesting things. And, and like I said, I could have it be maybe something it does as a legendary action is pop these um, bioluminescent glowing balloons and have that be a dexterity explosion of... I don't know what's a good spell we could use for that. Um, I guess, again, it depends on what the damage type we're using. But it would be like if it were full of this suspended, you know, liquid or something, and maybe a tentacle can pop it and just do dex, and everybody has a dex save in order to deal with it. Again, just to make more interesting things happening throughout. But yeah, I'm thinking that legendary actions, the bummer is if it can't get any psychic links pretty quickly, then it's pretty limited on bonus actions to doing tentacles and dissonant whispers. Now those two will probably be a lot going on in general. I also thought about the fact that you can have all of these creatures here already have a psychic link with the Elder Brain. That makes sense. So it could use its psychic pulse and target any of those creatures. The Elder Brain targets one creature within 120 feet of it, which has a psychic link. The target, so unfortunately it does do damage to that creature, and enemies of the Elder Brain within 30 feet of the target take 3d6 second damage. So basically, as long as I'm willing to take the deal damage, it can just, which I think is a kind of a cool visual thing. You just see one of the creatures suddenly clutch its head, the brain throbs, and just it just spills out psychic damage to everybody around it. I think that's a pretty cool legendary action. I don't think that's a whole lot of damage to where players may not be very impressed with that. Yes, I mean, there's no save involved, so I don't want it to be, like, super high damage. It's just automatic. You can see me rolling in a cup. In fact, that's probably average right there is 10 damage. I rolled pretty bad on this one. 11 damage on that one. 12, okay, I'm getting slightly better each time. Uh, but as a legendary action, I, you know, hopefully, would that be enough damage? Or we need to up the damage on that sucker. Uh, maybe just a little bit, although it does deal damage to my own creatures as well. And then the other thing we need to talk about is how many minions to use, which is the other big way I can balance this fight. Um, again, it's not a traditional mind flayer, so I don't have a lot of like intellect devourers or anything like that. This is not meant to be that kind of um, dungeon battle. Instead, it's the Nothics are the really obvious choice, and as written in the book, which this whole boss battle comes very far from the book. Um, it is always supported by Nothics. Uriel Arthas, uh, he's a demi-lich in the book. Because um, the Nothics are like the regular wizards who basically didn't undergo the Brain in the Jar transformation. And were just corrupted by um, Aetherin crashing and all the nasty arcane shit happening. That just turned them into Nothics. So I'm using Nothics as minions. Which Nothics are pretty solid. And I have those extra Nothic stat blocks from Expanded Towers of Aetherin including the Nothic Stalker, which is kind of a fun little rogue with like twice as many hit points. I'm probably not going to use the Nothic sp 
spellcaster, but maybe I should, because we haven't actually seen it really used yet. So I may actually add that one in there. As written, there's a cool idea that I don't think I'm going to use, because I've used a lot of living spells already. Um, if I was smart, I would have done this the first time, but the in the boss fight, there's a living demiplane that just sucks people into the zone, you know, into its little boxy thing, which I did use in the in the library encounter. However, in this case, there are three Calvin Majin and two Flesh Golems in there, which is fucking crazy. And then, because the Flesh Golems uh, heal on lightning damage, and the Galvan Majin do lightning damage, which I thought was an amazing combination. Uh, but I don't think I can use living spells here. I don't think they would be really appropriate. I kind of made the living spells as being more, uh, you know, they're on their own. I kind of I had fun with the little swords uh, in that one situation they just fought, and then we fought a bunch of them at the library. So I don't think I'm going to include living spells here what i am going to include is uh veneranda which is the very cool uh helmed horror with a brain in the jar instead of a normal head so it's actually those two creatures put together i put the brain in the jar uh, kind of hidden on the uh beyond the dynamic layer um now i kind of fully expect if there's if there's a good way to kind of anticipate what the players are going to do. This is an excellent target for Force Cage because he will not be able to, of Alraven, would not be able to Force Cage the brain. It's way too big. But he can Force Cage the next biggest threat, which is this Helmed Horror, and completely shut it down, and it would not be able to do anything. Now, that's still spending, what is it, like a 7th level spell slot to do that. So I think it's bullshit that spell doesn't require concentration or anything. At least I don't think it, or does it require concentration? I don't think it does. It does not. It just lasts for an hour. So, kind of a bullshit spell. <laughs> DM's not too salty about that at all. So, I, I fully expect him to use Force Cage on the Helm Tour. Luckily, I believe the Brain in the Jar would still be able to use all of its attacks because I don't think Force Cage actually stops magical attacks from going through, especially because it's got its own Mind Blast ability and like hold person spells it can do. I believe those can still go through the force cage, but it w they would be able to shut down uh, this Helm Horror. Uh, and the Helm Horror even has that weird ability where it's like, oh, the DM can like bullshit include immunities. It's just immune to, but the force cage, there's no save involved in that. It's just you are trapped in this bubble. There's nothing to be immune to. Um, unless it had some kind of teleportation magic, then it can make a save. But even its magic doesn't come into play. So yeah, force cage would be an excellent target for this guy. So you could say, well, I can add a second one of those combinations, but that's increasing the difficulty quite a bit uh, by by introducing another uh, Helmed Horror and Brain in the Jar combo, having like two lieutenants versus one lieutenant. Otherwise, we just add a whole bunch of these little Nothic guys, and we could even add more of those. How much possible damage can you do during a full round, including legendary actions? That is a good stat. Yeah, using just the Elder Brain. So if we look at just raw damage, whoops. Um, assuming it can do its best thing, which is having Mind Blast on recharge. So I rolled pretty good damage there, 39 Psychic Damage. I actually don't know, what is the average? Can somebody do the math on that? Of 5d10 plus 5. I guess that'd be 5.5 times 10. Uh, no, that's not right. 5d5, 5d5, 5, oh god, 5.5 5 times 5 plus 5 is an average of 32.5 damage. That's how we math, or maths, if you're, know that it's actually short for mathematics. Uh, so 30, what did I just say, 32 damage, 32.5 damage on its mind blast. So legendary actions, let's say it's going to use at least one tentacle attack. So that's an average of 20 damage. So now we're at 52.5. Uh, then let's say it uses a Dissonant Whisper, which has an average of 3d6, which is... What, 3.5 times 3, so that's 10.5, so now we're at 63 damage. And then let's say it does its Psychic Pulse, which is another 3d6, but it affects multiple people. Oh, and also keep in mind, 
that mind blast is affecting everybody. So I don't know how we calculate AOEs in terms of its DPS, but uh, so that was 50. So we're at 63. So maybe 70 damage if people are failing saves and if attacks are hitting. Potentially 70 damage um, with like half of that damage being AOE damage, I think. The Tentacle and Distant Whispers are single targets, and then the Psychic Pulse and the Mind Blast is an AOE. If it doesn't have Mind Blast, it does it does 20 instead of 32 damage with that action it has, and it uh, loses a lot of its AOE potential. So that, I think, is how we calculate that. And what's nice is... Barbarian's Rage is only really going to stop the tentacle damage. Uh, the rest of it is all psychic, which makes sense. You're fighting a big fucking brain. Also, because they long rested, the psychic resistance for Thimbleweed and uh, Celeste has officially worn off. In fact, I'm going to write a note about that. After long rest... Celeste no longer have That's easy to miss because I had a bunch of hidden messages there too. Had a counterspell creature reaction. Man, I have thoughts on counterspell, Grant. <laughs> I have thoughts. I think it's one of those spells that's great for players and shitty for DMs to use. I'm going to go ahead and say it. And I know a lot of people subscribe to the, hey, if the player's are using it, you should too, like Silvery Barbs and all that. And I get that philosophy. But I also think it just kind of sucks a little bit. Now, obviously, I've used Counterspell before. I've not been above using it, but I'm, I'm very careful about that uh, in terms of like just throwing that in there as a thing uh, creatures can use. If you're fighting like a straight-up wizard, um, then yeah, you probably... That should be something you have to deal with if players have access to it. But I'm very worried about just adding that on to creatures. And, and same thing with the, like, the full, the, the hard crowd control stuff, like the hypnotic patterns, the stuns, like those, those can be bad. How about a magic dead zone anti-magic field? You know, I played around with that a little bit uh, in Aetherin. Um, no, I don't think I'll, I'll have that here. This is a wizard. He's not going to have any magic anti-magic zones in here. How many damage that's before the brain rafters? <laughs> Might be able to kill Frey all by herself in like five rounds. Uh, so are we thinking it does too much damage? Is that what we're worried about? I mean, the one difference is I, I lowered its tentacle attack to one legendary action, and then I added Dissonant Whispers on there. And yeah, that's just what the Elder Brain can do. Now the players can do a lot. They are fully long-rested, uh, they've leveled up to 15. They have a lot of things at their disposal. But the big question is, how many... How many minions do I want to throw at them? I'm probably going to keep the Helmed Horror Brain in the Jar to one combo. But I do kind of expect Volrobin to Force Cage it. And the opposite's not enough. Ah, I see. So you're saying, yeah, it shouldn't have to last that many rounds to... To start killing people. Yeah, I guess it depends on how deadly you want to make this fight. Um, which, it should be a very hard... You know, I, I do want this to be a tough fight. Um, I think the big thing is it's doing a lot of AoE damage. And, I mean, Frey should be really fucking hard to kill. <laughs> you know, I don't... I know it's an arms race between players and, and DMs. But, like... Yeah, she's got almost 200 hit points. She's a raging barbarian. Like, uh, it's really hard to to kill that character. <laughs> I just think giving them interesting challenges and having all of that take damn. You know, again, and, and that does not include the the. We'll, we'll probably go acid. That does not include these acid liquid everywhere either. That technically these uh, tentacles could be throwing people into these acid pits. And that's just throwing 4d10 when they land on the acid. And if they're still in at the start of their turn, they take another 4d10. So that can get real nasty 
if I decide I need to throw these players around and how we work about rules about that, how far the tentacles can throw, etc., etc. I don't know. I'll, have, I'll look some of that information up. How quickly they would fight. Now, that's a great point, Nate. That's something I mentioned at the very beginning of uh, this battle, is that they will not even have time for a short rest between this fight and the actual final battle. That's going to be the tricky thing, and it's something I actually hate when video games do that, <laughs> and I'm doing it, which is when they throw a tough battle at you, and then you have immediately have to go into like a second stage boss fight. Now this is going to be a technically a completely different boss battle. But timing wise because when as soon as they defeat Uriel Arthas uh that shuts down the entire force field and everything and then Aurel can immediately show she's got god powers so she can immediately show up in the Mithalar and the players need to haul ass I gave them a fast travel elevator back in the other room. They have to haul ass back there enter that elevator, reach down there, and be there for the final confrontation uh, between Aurel, her forces, Avarice, and her forces, and how to deal with the Mithlar threat. So I am literally not even planning on letting them short rest between those two encounters. So that is also an interesting balancing thing. This is not, and I repeat, the final fight or final thing they have to do. It should be a very challenging boss battle. I want it to be memorable and fun and all those things, obviously. But I'm kind of in the back of my head balancing it to where it is like the first stage of a multi-part finale. So that's also kind of where I'm coming from. Now, obviously, I do not want this to be like the Valish nas battle. They just completely kick my ass, and we almost just laugh about how easy it is. That's certainly not my intent. But this is not necessarily meant to be the harrowing, like, oh, God, we barely survived this fight. Everybody's just clinging to life kind of a situation because then the players really will be like no fuck you dm we need to short rest here for a hot second and i'm gonna be like you guys don't have time like you gotta get going so that's kind of where i'm at in terms of the overall balance most of the party can fly so throwing them is moot i hmm that's actually a good point grant can you not if you've grappled somebody and then throw them i mean are they considered always flying or is it that a lot of them have to turn on flying? Um, like, I, I'm pretty sure Thimbleweed has to, like, activate his flight, for example. I think. I'd have to go back and check on that. I think the only ones that can actually fly, obviously, are Marbury the Pegasus. Um, Thimbleweed and Edmund has winged boots. I think the rest of them have, like, climbing speeds. Celeste can walk on water, which is interesting. But again, that you're walking on water. What if you're just being thrown into... Um, you know, it's not like you're always levitating. So I guess that's the question I have to argue is like, are you always levitating or are you not? Is it something you can do on your turn? It's going to be super fun to have the fight so close together. I hope so. Why are the Nothics there beyond being minions? So the Nothics represent, um, I guess, the other wizards. The, the wizards that would be attending to him. Um, it's just that the, the basically all of Aetherin was transformed into... Um, they were either transformed into Nothics or the, the very few that were the elite were uh, allowed to ascend into being ascend. They were forcibly transformed into brains in a jar. So they represent the rest of Aetherin, basically. So what I could, the only other creature I could put in here are the Majin, because the Majin are literally like the manufactured working class of Aetherin. Maybe that would be more interesting. I feel like we've fought kind of a lot of Majin. I just used them previously with a Majin plus brain in a jar battle. Uh... So I'm tempted to not necessarily use them here and just have the Nothics. I think the Nothics fit the theme a little better whilst in terms of it being a creepy, like, brain-infested stuff and the whole mind thing, um, while still making sense that there would be some, like, transformed wizards here. And, and he would probably even, um, you know, he, he's beyond delusional. So he would be like, oh, you know, my uh, friends and not consorts, but what's, like, the the nobility or something, the council. He referred to them as the council, I guess. Uh, council members, you know, uh, you cannot fight wizards like us. And he'll just pretend they're still like wizards and everything and still talk to them, and obviously they're just like growling and things. <laughs> I have no idea how many to use. That's something I would love to hear more about. Um, we've already hit our time limit on this stream, but right now I've just thrown on there kind of randomly. Uh, but we have five regular Nothics and two of the Nothic stalkers, which are kind of like rogue versions of Nothics with... A sneak attack and more hit points and then we've got the one um 
Helmed Horror plus Brandon Jar combo. I, I could definitely see myself adding more Nothics. Uh, the bad thing is it's going to be hard for me to just add them mid-fight because it's supposed to be like a single chamber room. But I, I may be talked into adding uh, at least one of the, like, more that one more powerful kind of Nothic. What is that one called? The Nothic um, Preeminent, I think. It's kind of a cool Nothic variant to throw in there. It's a lot. It's a lot to cover. Uh, I think we've made great progress this week in designing this fight. Hopefully things will go... Uh, hopefully things are just fine. You know, like, even just that's what I'm really hoping for. And that's obviously what I'm hoping for every single time. But I'm just trying to make things fun and challenging. And be a memorable boss fight while still leaving room for the fact that this is like stage one of two overall boss fights. Uh, but yeah, feel free to comment more on the Discord server or on the YouTubes. Uh, if you have any more thoughts before, uh, it is game time for tomorrow. But otherwise, that is going to be all the time we have for this episode of Crafting Icewind Dale. If you enjoy the content, please do check out patreon.com slash roguewatson. Shouts to Platinum Patrons, Joe, Will, Thomas, Stan, Brandon, Genocider, David, Eclectic, Roleplay, Roll, Christopher, Brian, William, Corey, Coat, 1337, Big Nut, John, John, Chris, Scott, Gene, Eric, Dan, Tyler, Nathan, Camp, Crystal Lake, Counselor, Big Shep, Andrew, and Daryl. And gold patrons, RPG, Paper Crafts, Pretty Boy, and Yuma, Marcus, Deadlizard, Lounge, Sam, Lumpy Spuds, Jerome, Nathan, Fessica, Gatorda, Scott, Refus, Carolyn, and William. Thank you all very much for your support. I will see you for D&D tomorrow night. Oh shit, Nate, that's a great idea about the home horror. <laughs> Although it lasts for an hour, so unfortunately I think he'd still be locked out. <laughs>